Hi, welcome to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. My name is Jillian and we are so glad you're joining us. Today, Brian Broderson continues through our series, Life in His Name, with a message entitled, Take Heart. Jesus tells us to hold on to peace in a troubled world. As we abide in Jesus and keep our eyes on him, peace and courage will be ours. What does it look like to live in that security for you today? Grab your Bible, your writing utensils and notebooks, and jot down all the things that stand out to you. We are coming now to the conclusion of this this conversation really that Jesus is having with his disciples and this has been called the upper room discourse and it's been called that because uh, it's taking place in that that upper room where Jesus had told his disciples go uh, into the city and you're going to find this upper room and there you prepare the uh, the Passover meal for us to eat together and it was there at that meal that this discourse, I mean, it, it's, it's really more of a conversation because Jesus, of course, is teaching, he's speaking, but the disciples, as we read, they are asking him questions and, and wondering about some of the things that he is saying. So... When Jesus says in verse 33, I have told you these things, what I want us to understand is that he's not talking only about the things that he has immediately said, just in the verses before or the verses that we read today, but I have told you these things as a reference to everything that he's been telling them from the first verse of chapter 14 all the way through to uh, verse 32, where he tells them here that uh, they will soon be scattered and they will leave him alone. But then this great word, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, tribulation, difficulty, distress. In the world, you will have trouble, but take heart or be of good courage or be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So what I want to do today is I want to just go back and highlight a few of the things that we can um, lay hold of as we face the difficulties and the challenges of life, a few things that we can lay hold of that will result in our having peace in the midst of the storm and will encourage us as well. So beginning with chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. So this is the first thing that we need to remember as we go through life, as we go through the challenges of life, we need to remember that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. You know, um, I mean, there, were, there was a time in not, not all that long ago, and it's still the case in some places where they're, uh, you know, all, always talk about the coming again of the Lord. And that's kind of um, quieted down among some. And, and I understand that because I think sometimes it's, it's been, um, well, it, it's kind of just been used almost as a, a sort of an escapist type of a thing, which it was never intended to be. But we cannot forget this is the great hope of the world, the, the coming again of Jesus. And when you think about uh, biblical prophecy, of course, when we go back to the Old Testament and we have the prophecies of the coming Messiah, we have many, many prophecies that speak of his first coming, which we have all, of course, received from that. That's why we're here today, because through his death and resurrection uh, and the work of the Spirit, we have become his people. But the, the bulk of prophecy is prophecy concerning what we would know now as his second coming. The bulk of prophecy talks about the reign of Christ on the earth. And so in the world, as we experience trouble, as we experience difficulty, we just need to, to have this perspective. The Lord is going to come again. And he will, as the scriptures promised, he will sort out everything. And I, I think about this often. The return of Jesus Christ will be the greatest surprise in history. You know, how many people in the world today in looking at the world, in looking at life, in living their lives even, how many people are, are conscious of the reality that Jesus is going to come back? I'd say most people don't think that to be the case at all. But it is indeed the promise that Jesus made. It's the promise that the prophets declared would... Uh, come to pass. It's the pr promise that the apostles spoke of and wrote about and encouraged the church through. And so it's something that we need to lay hold of as we go through the difficulties and the challenges of life. And so Jesus says here, he, he says, I'm, I'm going away, but I'm going to come and I'm going to receive you to myself. And 
you are going to be then with me where I am. And so Jesus is here giving a promise to the disciples. He's giving a promise to the believers that he's going away, but he's going to prepare a place for them. And then he's going to come back and get them. And so there is that moment in history, no one knows when, when Jesus will come back and he will, as he said, he will take his people to be with him. We call this the rapture. And then he will come in glory. Then he will come in power. Then he will come in the fullness of the promise of God to establish God's kingdom on the earth. But the, but the first promise is to his people. I'm going to go away, prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and receive you to myself that where I am, there you will be also. And so we, we just know that that is a fact. Now, whether we happen to experience that moment uh, or not, we can't guarantee. Of course, these disciples didn't experience that moment in the way that Jesus says here. But they did obviously experience what that moment um, means when they went to be with the Lord through, in their case, death. So just the, really the, the great hope is that we will be with the Lord. That's where everything's headed. That's where you're headed. That's where I'm headed. That's where the whole world is headed. We're headed toward the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. And so when we find ourselves overwhelmed, by trouble, when we find ourselves in distress, when we are finding ourselves discouraged, Jesus said, take heart. Take heart. In, in me, the emphasis of Jesus here is in me you will have peace. And so Jesus is the one that we can look to regardless of what's happening around us. If the like Psalm 46 says, if the, um, the mountains are dissolved and cast into the sea, I will, not be, uh, I will not fear. The Lord is my refuge and my strength. Now, Jesus also said, something that we need to remember. He said that he would ask the Father, chapter 14, verse six, and he will give you another helper or advocate or comforter who will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And so this is just, again, a reminder to us that the Lord is with us. He's come to us 
in the person of the Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And just as Jesus was there to help and to encourage and to comfort or strengthen or whatever was needed at the time for those who were following him, so the Spirit now is doing that very thing for us. And we've looked over the past uh, you know, several weeks, we've looked at the ministry of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit among the believer, the work of the Spirit through the believer toward the world. Uh, but this is the emphasis that we want to um, press in on today, that the Spirit is with us. And, and in the context, remember, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you orphan. I'm going to come back to you. And it's in the person of the Spirit. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us, his people. And so the, these are the things that Jesus wants us to remember. These things I've, I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. And so he told us this, and it's actually come to pass. We have the experience of it. And then he said in chapter 15, verses 5 through 7, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. And here we have the promise of prayers heard and answered. Isn't it a, a, an amazing thing if you really stop and think about it, that, that we have the promise of prayers heard and answered? Lots of people believe in prayer. Ironically, even people who don't believe in God believe in prayer <laughs> sometimes. You know, you'll hear an atheist say, well, I, you know, I'm praying about that. Not realizing that, wait a second, you know. Prayer implies that there's a God. But, but lots of people pray. But how many people can pray with full confidence that my prayer is heard and that it will be answered according to God's will? See, that's what you have. That's what we have as the people of God. We have the promise that our prayers are heard. That God will answer our prayers. And so when you come and you say, oh, would you please pray for me? Or if I say to you, could you pray for me? Or as we pray for one another, it's not just wishful hoping. It's not just, well, maybe this will work. No, the reality is, Jesus said, for those who abide in him, he said, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It will be done for you. And so the Lord is working through prayer as we ask him. Now, sometimes it takes longer to receive an answer to prayer than we had wanted. Sometimes we receive an answer to prayer that is not exactly the one we wanted. But you know, when you, you live long enough and you walk with the Lord long enough, you do begin to realize that God does have 
the perfect timing and the perfect plan for our lives. And so even though it didn't happen in the time frame that I prayed for it in, even though it might not have happened exactly the way I thought it should happen, we look back with hindsight and we see, wow, Lord, that's amazing how you did that. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. I wouldn't have considered that. I, I thought that it should be like this. But God, who is all wise, he knows. And he works that out. And then we stand and we look back and we say, wow, that, that is amazing. Lord, you knew, you know. But just, again, Jesus is saying, this is, these are the promises that I'm leaving you with. These are the things that are going to sustain you and comfort you and give you courage when you face the difficulties and the challenges of life that you can ask what you will and it will be done for you. Fourthly, in chapter 15, verses 15 and 16, Jesus said this, he said, I no longer call you servants, but friends. That's amazing in and of itself. But then he goes on and he says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Isn't that amazing? Think about that for a moment. I love this passage. It has for so many years been an encouragement to me. So many times I've turned to this passage to remind myself that I, I didn't choose the Lord. He chose me. And just, you know, what are we supposed to take away from that? Well, I think the main thing we're supposed to take away from that is security. Man, I, I can rest secure. The Lord chose me. It wasn't like I had to twist his arm or, you know, I begged to get on the team. He really didn't want me, but oh, through the pressure, he succumbed and ended up with me after all. No, he chose me. He chose you. He chose you and he appointed you to go and to bear fruit. That means that he's going to accomplish the things that he intended to accomplish when he saved you. He's going to do it. He's going to finish the work that he started. And, you know, we have those, those great reminders of that in the pages of the epistles. We think of, um, you know, that, that passage where Paul says that um, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is confident of this. He says to the Philippians, he says, the, the work that God has begun, he's going to complete it. He's not going to stop short. He's not going to abandon you at a certain point. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us about Jesus as being the author and the finisher of our faith or the originator, the one who initiated it all. Isn't that wonderful to know? Jesus is the author and the finisher 
of our faith. And that's what he is reminding us of here. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and to bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. But then he says in verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So here in this discourse, in this conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples, he's telling them about these wonderful realities that he's going to prepare a place and he's going to come back about the Holy Spirit that um, he is going to send to them um, about the fact that they um, can expect that God will hear their prayer and answer their prayer and that, that he's chosen them. But then he's also telling them in the context that there will be opposition, that they will face opposition, that they will, in some cases, be hated. And as he says here, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. So th these are the kinds of promises that we don't really relish. We don't like the idea of being disliked or even more severely hated. But this is a reality for the people of God. It has always been the experience of God's people right from the very beginning down to this very day. And I... I just sort of emphasize that because I think that we as modern day Christians and especially in the context of uh, the United States of America, the idea that we would be hated or the idea that we would be opposed or the idea that we would be persecuted, that just is the farthest thing from our minds. That should never happen. I mean, you know, we have rights. And that's a violation of my rights. And yes, we do have rights. And, and that is according to our constitution. That's all true. But Jesus told us that we would be hated at times. And we would also at times experience various forms of persecution. And that can be something as... Uh, seemingly um, benign as just being overlooked, maybe in the case of a job promotion or something like that, because you're a Christian, they're going to pass you by and find somebody else. It can be as severe as a physical harm or imprisonment or things like that. These are the realities that the people of God have always lived with from generation to generation. And although to a large degree we have been rather exempt from it for the most part, that was never the promise of Scripture. 
It just so happened that that's where we landed in history, this time and this place. But we need to know that there will be times and places where the hatred toward Christ will be directed at his people. I don't know how many of you follow British politics. Probably not many of you. In Scotland, presently, um, they are going into an election cycle because the former first minister resigned. And now they have these you know, new candidates that are seeking to become the, the first minister, which is, in a sense, like the prime minister, but Scotland is part of Britain, so you have the English prime minister is, parliament is over everything and all that. But anyway, so there's a young woman named Kate Forbes who is running to be the first minister of Scotland. And in an article by unheard columnist Kathleen Stock, uh, she brings out this, this radical hostility that is being seen in certain uh, places within um, Scottish life, and, and mostly uh, from the journalists and, and so forth, the people who uh, ideologically are opposing her. Uh, but she wrote a, an article entitled The Crucifixion of Kate Forbes. And let me just read you a little paragraph here. She wrote, Lint began this week with a rehearsal for a crucifixion. On Tuesday, SMP leader, Scottish National um, Party, Leader hopeful and devout Presbyterian, Kate Forbes, was faced with something she must have known was coming, a challenge from journalists about her views on gay marriage, womanhood, and children being born out of wedlock. By Ash Wednesday, several of her backers within the SMP had publicly recanted running scared from the ensuing furor. Kate has not backed down. But the vitriol that is being directed at this woman is unbelievable. I mean, basically what some are saying is that a person with her beliefs, she has said that she uh, does not believe in same-sex marriage. And although she wouldn't try to roll back um, the, the decisions that have been made, she did not vote for same-sex marriage. So essentially, they're just saying, a person like this is not suited for public office. And it really comes down to this hostility that Kate Forbes is facing being due to her faith in Jesus and her commitment to a biblical worldview. Char mentioned a few weeks ago the situation in uh, Australia with that football coach, but this is happening all across the world. 
welcome to the 21st century. The, the hostility toward Christ. And when I say toward Christ, it's interesting because there are a lot of people who would say, oh, no, no, I'm not hostile toward Christ. Jesus is great. I believe in Jesus. It's just his followers that hold these uh, draconian views. That, that's what I'm opposed to. But somebody who says that obviously has a different Jesus in mind. A Jesus who doesn't have any requirement regarding a moral standard. A Jesus who's just basically a nice guy and who will kind of just go along with, it, what, with whatever you think because it's all about love. And what Jesus really wants is you to find yourself and be yourself and express yourself. That's the Jesus that people are cool with. But that's not the real Jesus. And so when we stand with the real Jesus, as Kate Forbes is doing, we can expect that this kind of thing will happen. Finally, in chapter 16, verse 27, Jesus says this. He says, he's encouraging them again, again to pray, and he says um, in verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name. <clears throat> I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I came out from God. And what I want us to remember here is just simply this. The Father himself loves you. God loves us. And because that's true, we can rest assured that even though troubles come, in the, in the bigger picture, we really have nothing to fear. The Father loves us and is with us and is for us and is going to guide and lead our lives right on through to the very end. And all of the, the tribulation, the trouble, the distress, the difficulties that will come our way, they don't change anything. And Jesus says here, notice in that final verse, he says that we are to find our peace in him. Find our peace in him. And, and so these things I have said to you, that in me you might have peace. All of these things culminating with this, just this simple but profound word, the Father himself loves you. God loves us. My favorite verse describing the Father's heart is found in Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. So when we, when we hear this, the Father loves you, this is what 
this is what we should think about. Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I love that picture of God. God, the compassionate, he knows our frame. He knows what we can endure. He knows that we are fragile. That's what it means. He knows that we are dust. He knows that we are fragile. And all of that comes into play as we go through life and as we face the challenges and the difficulties in the world. These things I have said to you that in me you may have peace. That in me you may have peace. So that's, you know, you've heard this before. It sounds so simple. It sounds almost cliche sometimes, but it is a reality. It is a fact of Christian life. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll have peace. I experience this all the time. I experience the loss of peace. I experience the anxiety over the difficulties and the distresses and the challenges. You know, all of these things that go on, all of the things that we all experience, that we observe around us. Man, and you know, today we are so inundated with information about all the things that are going on everywhere. You know, there's never been a time in history where you just, uh, you know, had a gadget like a phone that you could open up an app on and you could literally just see everything that's going on around the world. And most of it is bad. Man, no wonder we're having a mental health crisis in our society today. I mean, the world is melting down around us. And if you think really hard about that, it can bum you out, to say the least. How do we handle that? Well, in one sense, you know, we, we could, I mean, we, we probably should not subject ourselves to so much of that all the time, but at, but at the same time, we don't want to stick our head in the sand and pretend like none of this stuff is going on. This is the real world that we live in. But what we need to remember is that it's that real world that is full of sin and corruption and all those things. That's the world that Jesus has overcome. And so if we keep our eyes on him, we will have peace. Do you look at something before you and it just it's it just seems insurmountable it just seems so overwhelming it just seems like how you know how am I ever going to make it through this or navigate this or what's what's going to happen to bring deliverance and and we don't know what do we do well we can fret and worry and be filled with anxiety or we can say, Jesus, I'm looking to you. 
So like I said, it's simple, and sometimes it sounds like a cliche, but the reality for us is this. Hey, get your eyes on the Lord. Get your eyes off the situation and put them on the Lord. And I think of that wonderful passage from Exodus, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And that was said in the context of a massive Egyptian army coming toward the people. And in front of them, there's nothing but an ocean. And it seems absolutely inescapable. This is the end for them. But the Lord says to Moses, don't panic. Don't be afraid. Be calm and see the salvation of the Lord. And so Jesus said, in me, you will have peace. If we remember these things, if we remember who Jesus is, if we remember what he's done, what he's going to do, that he's coming again, that he's going to sort it all out, he really is, we are the people. And I've said this before, and I want to say it again. If there's a group of people on the planet that should not be freaking out about what's going on in the world, it's us. <laughs> That's us. If we're freaking out like everybody else, then we're missing something. You know, people are looking for a place like a safe haven, like a refuge where everybody is not freaked out. Yes. <laughs> this is where I, I honestly, I get frustrated with some churches. I think some churches today, they are creating more anxiety for the people that come to church. Because church has now shifted from speaking God's word and hope to talking about all the horrible things that are going on in society that somehow we have got to change that. Now we are the people that Jesus said can have peace. It's in him. So he says, take heart. And that, that word uh, there could, could be translated, uh, be courageous. I mean, isn't, isn't this the issue? It's fear. Fear is the thing that, that um, creates the anxiety. Fear in the heart creates anxiety in the mind, says the Proverbs. So, what do we need? We need courage. Where do we get the courage? Jesus said, take heart. Be courageous. And I like the King James. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. And... As we keep our eyes on him, as we abide in him, we also will overcome. And John, when he writes his, his first letter, 
after he wrote this gospel. And undoubtedly, thinking back on the words of Jesus, he said, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. They are the ones that overcome the world. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he came into the world and that he gave his life so that our sins could be forgiven and that we could be reconciled to the Father. And we believe that he is coming again to set up God's eternal kingdom. And in the meantime, we believe that even though the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea, I will not fear because the Lord is our refuge and our strength. And once again this morning, we have the opportunity to just encourage ourselves. You know the word encourage, you know what it means, right? It means to impart courage. And we can encourage ourselves this morning as we take our eyes off of all the things that are burdening us and frightening us and bringing them right back around to the central thing. And that is God loves us and he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so as we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, once again, we're just, we're reminding ourselves of the great love that God has for us. And we're encouraging ourselves in his faithfulness. And you know, as we do that, peace will replace the fear and the anxiety. And so may that be our experience today. As we come, as we worship, as we partake of the bread and the cup, may that be our experience today. And if you're here today and you don't, you can't say that you know Jesus in the way that we're talking about that, is, that has resulted in you having peace, that has resulted in you knowing that God loves you and he's committed to taking care of you all the way through. You know, you can have that by just simply opening your heart to Christ and asking him to come in and he will do that. And the bread and the cup are the symbols of his great love, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed. So Lord, as we worship now and as we partake together in the bread and in the cup, and as we intentionally take our focus off of the things that are weighing us down. The fears, the anxieties, the burdens. And as we put our eyes once again upon Jesus, we thank you for the promise of peace. We receive that peace, Lord, in your name.